Hey everybody, welcome to 2ZQ Hot Takes, where we discuss issues both big and small. I am your host, the very handsome Tim Kirk, and this time I'll be talking about Action Park, otherwise known as Traction Park, Fracture Park, Accident Park, Class Action Park. There are several documentaries, including a new one coming out on, I think, HBO called Class Action Park. Like masochists, we kept going back. It was brutal punishment, but we loved it. The TV show Cannonball shows something similar to one of the rides at Action Park. Mount Splashmore from The Simpsons had to be the inspiration for so much. The kids who were too young for the rides. The tube Homer was caught in. The sending of extra kids in the tubes to loosen up the clog. Kids would hang on to the inside of the rides if they got scared so they would slow things down and other kids would be sent in there to knock them free. There was something called Motor World. Now, it can be hectic driving through New York and New Jersey highways to get to Action Park. Why on earth anybody would want to get into a hot, dirty, smelly mini race car and drive around a track to ram into a bunch of people you came there with, I will never know. But there were throngs of sun-kissed, youthfully fit physiques roaming all over the place in the least amount of clothing needed. A lot of the kids were far too young for many of the rides, and a lot of people did not shower before getting on water slides with a lot of riders sliding their hot, sweaty, unwashed bodies along with you. And the Geronimo Falls were gigantic enema machines. To say the least... From Wikipedia, Action Park was an amusement and water park located in Vernon, New Jersey, United States, on the grounds of the Vernon Valley Great Gorge Ski Resort. The park consisted primarily of water-based attractions and originally opened to the public in 1978 under the ownership of Great American Recreation. Action Park featured three separate attraction areas, the Alpine Center, Motor World and Water World. The latter was one of the first modern American water parks. Many of its attractions were unique, to say the least, attracting thrill seekers from across the New York metropolitan area. Action Park's popularity went hand in hand with a reputation for poorly designed rides, undertrained and underage staff, intoxicated guests and staff and a consequently poor safety record. At least six people are known to have died as a result of mishaps on rides at the park, and it was given such names as Traction Park, Accident Park, and Class Action Park. Little effort was made by state regulators to address these issues, despite the park's history of repeat violations. In its later years, personal injury lawsuits led to the closure of increasing numbers of rides, and eventually the entire park closed in 1996. The idea for the park began in 1976 when Eugene Mulvihill and his company Great American Recreation, the owners of the recently combined Vernon Valley Great Gorge Ski Area, wanted to find a way to generate revenue during the summer. 
That year, they followed the trend of many other ski areas and opened a 2,700-foot-long alpine slide down one of the steep ski trails. For the summer of 1978, Mulvihill added two water slides and a go-kart track and named the collection of rides the Vernon Valley Summer Park. The following year, more water slides and a small deep water swimming pool, as well as tennis courts and a softball field, were added to what became known as the Water World section of Action Park. By 1980, Motor World had been carved out of swampy lands a ski area owned across Route 94. Combined, these areas formed one of North America's earliest modern water parks. Ultimately, the small park consisting of the Alpine Slide and two water slides evolved to a major destination with 75 rides, 35 motorized self-control rides, and 40 water slides. Action Park's most successful years were the early and mid-1980s. Most rides were still operating and the park's dangerous reputation had not yet developed. In 1982, two guests died at the park within a week of each other, leading to the permanent closure of one ride. Despite this, people continued to come in massive numbers, including myself. The park's fortunes began to turn with two deaths in the summer of 1984, and the legal and financial problems that stemmed from the ensuing lawsuits. A, st a state investigation of misconduct in the leasing of state land to Action Park led to a 110-count grand jury indictment against the nine related companies that ran the park and their executives for operating an unauthorized insurance company. <laughs> Many took pretrial intervention to avoid prosecution. CEO Eugene Mulvihill pled guilty that November to five insurance fraud-related charges. Still, attendance remained high and the park remained profitable, at least on paper. The park entertained over 1 million visitors per year during the 1980s, with as many as 12,000 coming on some of the busiest weekends. Park officials said this made the injury and death rate statistically insignificant. Nevertheless, the director of the emergency room at a nearby hospital said they treated from 5 to 10 victims of park accidents on some of the busiest days, and the park eventually bought the township of Vernon extra ambulances to keep up with the volume. In September 1989, GAR, Great American Recreation, negotiated a deal with International Broadcasting Corporation that would result in the sale of Vernon Valley Great Gorge and Action Park for $50 million. IBC, however, backed out of the deal, feeling the site was not suitable for their needs upon further inspections of the properties. <laughs> By the 1990s, Action Park was being advertised as the world's largest water park. Additionally, the park launched a website on which visitors could find information about rides, directions to the park and lodging, and even enter a lottery for a chance to win park tickets. In September 1991, Great American Recreation attempted to petition the Vernon Township Committee to put a referendum on the November ballot that, if passed, would have legalized the operation of games of skill and chance at Action Park. On September 23rd, the petition was rejected by the committee because only 643 of the 937 signatures on the petition came from registered voters.
A few rides were closed and dismantled due to costly settlements and rising insurance premiums in the 1990s, and the park's attendance began to suffer as the recession early in that decade reduced the number of visitors. In early 1995, GAR operated Vernon Valley Great Gorge and Action Park with no liability insurance. New Jersey did not require it, and GAR found it more economical to go to court than purchase liability insurance since they relied on their own self-insurance. However, they ultimately purchased liability insurance from Evanston Insurance Company in May of that year to cover Action Park and the skiing facilities. As 1995 progressed, GAR's financial woes continued to accumulate. First Fidelity Bank, who lent $19 million to GAR and some 15 other connected corporations, filed suit against them in an effort to begin the process of foreclosing on the debt owed to them. Law firms owed money for services rendered between 1991 and 1993 also began filing suit. As November approached, GAR negotiated a deal with Naramco Capital Corp. and the Pradium Fund of CS First Boston, in which they would purchase the debt owed to First Fidelity, temporarily fending off its impending closure. Uh. Action Park closed at the end of the season as usual on Labor Day, September 2nd, 1996. As the 1997 summer season approached, GAR remained optimistic that Action Park would open as expected on June 14th in spite of massive layoffs that occurred at the end of the prior ski season. The opening date was pushed back to June 28th, then mid-June July. On June 25th, 1997, GAR announced the cessation of all its operations, including Action Park. Now, I'm going to go into some of the rides. First, the Alpine Slide. Now, I don't know if it actually was, but it sure sounded like broken bones could be heard from the ground when people were on this freaking ride. Action Park's 2,700-foot-long Alpine Slide descended the mountain beneath one of the ski area chairlifts, which provided guests access to the top of the slide. Riders sat on small sleds that had only a brake accelerator and control stick and rode down the slide in long chutes built into the slope. The ride, and more specifically the sleds, became notorious for causing injuries. The stick that was supposed to control the sled's speed in practice offered just two options on the infrequently maintained vehicles, extremely slow and a speed described by one former employee as death awaits. The chutes the sleds traveled in were made of concrete, fiberglass, and asbestos, which led to serious abrasions on riders who took even mild falls. The tendency of guests to ride in bathing suits made the problem worse. The path underneath the chairlift resulted in verbal harassment and spitting from passengers going up for their turn. The slide led to the first fatality at the park, a head injury suffered in 1980 by an employee, according to an interview with family members in the 2020 HBO Max documentary, Class Action Park. The park owners falsely reported to the press he was an employee as regulations at the time did not require the reporting of fatalities of employees. Whose sled ran off the track? He then fell down an embankment and hit his head on a rock, killing him. 
According to the same documentary, the sled was unserviceable and he died after being in a coma for several days. Hay bales at the curves were put in place in an attempt to cushion the impact of guests whose sleds jumped off the track, a frequent occurrence. While park officials regularly asserted its safety, in the early years of the park, the slide was responsible for the bulk of the accidents, injuries, lawsuits, and state citations for safety violations. According to state records, in 1984 and 1985, the Alpine slide produced 14 fractures and 26 head injuries. People wondered why I didn't want to get on that thing. Motor World. Action Park's Motor World section consisted of rides based around powered vehicles and boats on the west side of Route 94, opposite the main part of the park. The area closed with Action Park in 1996 and never reopened. They have since been replaced with a condominium development, a restaurant, and additional parking for the Mountain Creek Ski Resort. They had the land rides, the super go-karts. The super go-karts allowed guests to drive around a small loop track at a speed of about 20 miles per hour, controlled by the governor devices on the carts. However, Park employees knew how to circumvent the governors by wedging tennis balls into them, and they were known to do so for guests. As a result, an otherwise standard small engine cart ride became an opportunity to play bumper cars at 50 miles an hour, and many injuries resulted from head-on collisions. Also, the cart's engines were poorly maintained, and some riders were overcome by gasoline fumes as they drove. And I could never understand why anybody who fought traffic and drove through the Dairy Queen on the way to Action Park would want to do this in miniature on the track. Then they had the Battle Action Tanks, which I think was a gigantic attraction to a lot of people. Battle Action Tanks was one of the most popular rides in Motor World, and it was featured prominently in television ads. For an additional fee, guests could enter a chain-link fence-enclosed area and operate small tanks for five minutes at a time. The tanks were equipped with tennis ball cannons that enabled riders to shoot at a sensor prominently mounted on each tank. If hit, the tank stopped operating for 15 seconds, while other guests often took advantage of the delay to hit the disabled vehicle with more fire. Visitors on the outside could also utilize less costly cannons mounted on the perimeter fence. When workers had to enter the cage to attend to a stuck or crashed tank, which often happened several times a day, they were commonly pelted with tennis balls, despite prohibitions against such behavior. This gave the ride a reputation for being more dangerous for the employees than the guests, making it one of the least popular places to work in the park. It is not known if there were any serious injuries from the tank ride. As of 2018, the area has not been redeveloped and only a vacant lot remains. All I remember from this was, oh, look at all those sadists. The super speedboats. The super speedboats were set up in a small pond known by park staff to be heavily infested with snakes. They could be driven around a small island at 35 to 40 miles per hour. I really don't remember anything going that fast. 
While unlike the land vehicles, there was no way to tamper and increase their speed, many riders nonetheless used them to play bumper boats, and one seriously inebriated rider had to be rescued by the attendant lifeguard after his boat capsized following a collision. And it did not exactly light my fire. Now, there are things called air rides, and one of them was known as the slingshot, which is something you could never in a million years ever get me on. The slingshot was a bungee cord ride in which two riders sat in a seat and were strapped in while the ride was shot up in the air and supported by a bungee cord. Riders looped upside down. There are a few similar rides still standing in a handful of major amusement parks, the most common name being the slingshot found at many Six Flags parks, but they are upcharged attractions, an additional charge to admission, due to insurance issues. At Action Park, the extra fee was only $5. This particular ride was open from 1993 to 1995. We often wondered how many whiplash cases came out of that ride, one former employee recalled. Now, well, Waterworld, this is where the entire thing happened for me. The entire idea of going to Action Park was going to Waterworld. So, water-based attractions made up half of the park's rides and accounted for the greatest share of its casualty count. Mountain Creek Water Park and its currently revived Action Park still operate some of these attractions. In addition, there was also a miniature golf course as well as standard pools and rides for children. These were sometimes smaller, safer versions of the park's main attractions. Now, they had something called the Cannonball Loop, which was on display when I started going there. It was not in use. It looked completely, ridiculously, dangerously unsafe, and uh, no one was allowed to use it. It was a looping water slide, which had a loop-de-loop at the end, and you were inside a tube the entire time. In the mid-1980s, GAR built an enclosed water slide, not unusual for the time. In fact, the park already had several such slides. On this one, however, they decided to build a complete vertical loop at the end, similar to that of a roller coaster. The resulting slide, called the Cannonball Loop, was so intimidating that employees have reported they were offered $100, equivalent to $238 in 2019, to test it. Someone named Fergus, who described himself as one of the idiots who took the offer, said $100 did not buy enough booze to drown out that memory. The slide was open for only one month in summer 1985 before it was closed at the order of the state's advisory board on carnival amusement ride safety, a highly unusual move at the time. One worker told the local newspaper that there were too many bloody noses and back injuries from riders, and it was widely rumored, as reported in Weird, New Jersey, that some of the test dummies sent down before it opened had been dismembered and decapitated. A rider also reportedly got stuck at the top of the loop due to insufficient water pressure and a hatch had to be installed at the bottom of the slope to allow for future extractions. Which reminds me of Homer. The ride supposedly reopened a few more times over the years. In the summer of 1995 and 1996, it was opened for several days before further injuries forced its permanent shutdown. Those who rode the Cannonball Loop have said that more safety measures were taken than was otherwise common at the park. Riders were weighed, hosed down with cold water, 
instructed to remove jewelry and then carefully instructed in how they had to position their bodies to complete the ride. For the remainder of the park's existence, Cannonball Loop remained visible near the entrance of Waterworld. It was dismantled shortly after the park closed. In 2014, video footage that appeared to show riders going down the Cannonball Loop was unearthed and published online. In 2015, Action Park planned to debut another water slide, the Sky Caliber, developed by Sky Turtle Technologies, which would encase riders inside a bullet-like capsule for a 90-foot vertical drop and a 30-foot loop at 50 miles an hour and 6 Gs. Oh, my God. Now, the other notable water attractions included the Tidal Wave Pool. Now, I personally remember forming human chains with people who were big people, who seemed tough, but had zero experience swimming. There were people who lived most of their lives in the city, had never swum, uh, had, didn't have any idea how to, how to float or to kick or to keep themselves from drowning. So we actually had to hold on to the side of the pool and form a link with our arms to grab people who were being pulled under the waves in the tidal wave pool. The tidal wave pool. The first patron death occurred here in 1982. Another visitor drowned in this common water park attraction five years later. It was, however, the number of people the lifeguards saved from a similar fate that made this the only water world attraction to gain its own nickname, the grave pool. It was 100 feet wide by 250 feet long and could hold 500 to 1,000 people. Again, 500 to 1,000 people who did not shower before they got in. Waves were generated for 20 minutes at a time with 10-minute intervals between them and could reach as much as 40 inches in height. It was not always obvious that the pool depth increased as one got closer to the far end, and there were patrons who only remembered or realized that they could not swim when they were in over their heads and the waves were going full blast. Even those who could swim sometimes exhausted themselves, causing patrons to crowd the side ladders as the waves began, leading to many accidents. I can attest to that. Twelve lifeguards were on duty at all times, and on high-traffic weekends, they were known to rescue as many as 30 people, compared to the one or two the average lifeguard might make in a typical season at a pool or a lake. Mountain Creek continues to operate this attraction as the high-tide wave pool, but made the pool much shallower. Aquascoot. Invented by Ken Bailey in the early 1980s, riders would carry a hard, solid plastic sled up to the top of the ride, go down a slide consisting of rollers akin to those found in factories, warehouses, and assembly lines, I kid you not. And end up in a pool that in most areas was no deeper than a puddle. This is what reminds me of uh, the promo for the TV show Cannonball. The idea of the ride was to, once the sled hit the water, skip across the water like a stone. In order to do this, the rider had to be in a certain position, leaned back. If the rider was not in this position the sled would sink into the water as soon as it hit the pool, flinging the rider off head first, which often resulted in head injuries. Other times, riders would be leaving the pool only to have others crash into them as they were riding. 
The ride consisted of parallel slides originally. At some point in the mid-1980s, a third slide was added. Each slide was 30 feet long. The slides were removed when IntraWest took over the resort in 1998. Now, I remember this, and I saw an awful lot of face plants, and yes, people kept on banging into each other, and they saw that they were going to bang into each other, and it seemed like they were gunning for each other. The Kamikaze. This was the more tame water slide near the Geronimo slides. It was blue in color and featured several drops and rises. Riders would lie on their backs with their arms and legs crossed and go down a chute, which pitched steeply at first, and then went up and down several times before ending in a pool. The Tarzan Swing. This was a steel arch hanging from a 20-foot-long cable over a spring-fed pool. Patrons waited in long lines for the chance to hang from it, swing out over the water, then jump off as the beam reached its height. In early years, the area patrons jumped off from was not over the water, but a cushioned area. Some people who would let go as soon as they started their swing would land on the cushion and then slide crash into the water. Some patrons hung on too long and then scraped their toes on the concrete on the far side. Others used the ride properly, but were then surprised to find the water underneath was very cold. It was cold enough, in fact, that the lifeguards sometimes had to rescue people who were so surprised by the sudden chill that they could not swim out of the pool. In 1984, one man died from a heart attack after experiencing the swing. Now, I remember next to that was a ride, which I think was also called a cannonball. There were two tube rides, in which I said before, they would send kids down, and if kids got scared, they would hold on to the sides and slow themselves down, and they would send other kids down uh, to unclog it. So there'd be three or four kids, and there, were, there you are. You know, I'm, 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 I'm a big guy by now. I'm a relatively big guy, as opposed to these little kids who shouldn't have been on the ride in the first place. And I'm sliding into them, and other kids are sliding into me, and then the five or six people will fall out on their backs and flop into a pool. One day while I was there, the line was very, very long, and there were obviously children that should not have been online for this ride who were being allowed to get on this ride, and we were waiting our turns, and there must have been at least 200 people waiting to get on this ride. And just before you go on, you hose down a little bit so you're moist as you go down the slide so you don't stick, and you just jump in. Well, there was one particularly good-looking, sun-kissed, physically fit young fellow who freaked out, turned to the crowd, and meekly said, I can't do it. And suddenly, the entire mob turned on him, jeered at him, pointed at him, laughed at him, and the staff hosed this guy down mercilessly and humiliated him in front of everybody until he slunk away in disgrace. Such was life at Action Park. Now, they also had something called the Roaring Rapids, which was a raft-based whitewater ride. Reports that the park filled with the state in 1984 noted fractured femurs, collarbones and noses, and dislocated knees and shoulders. This attraction is still open. Now, Surf Hill is something that I've never, ever, ever understood this. This ride 
common to other water parks at the time, allowed patrons to slide down a water-slick sloped surface on mats into small puddles until they reached a foam barrier after an upslope at the end. The upslope was basically a mogul on the side of a ski trail. Barriers between lanes were minimal and people frequently collided with each other on the way down or at the end. The seventh lane was known as the backbreaker due to its special kicker two-thirds of the way down. That's the mogul, which was intended to allow jumps and splashdowns into a larger puddle. Now, it was watered by giant golf course sprinklers, and it was a giant slip and slide down the side of the hill. Employees at the park used to like eating at a nearby snack bar, which I had been to, which was fenced in and uh, was well, actually which was screened in, and you can look out and look at the people at the pool, or you could look at the people on Surf Hill, and they'd be drinking and having a good time laughing at people's misfortunes. Employees at the park used to like eating at a nearby snack bar with a good view of the attraction, since it was almost guaranteed that they could see some serious injuries, lost bikini tops, or both. Mountain Creek kept this attraction open through 2005, then reopened it in 2012. Why? Why? Why would you do this? Super Speed Water Slides. These two water slides, also known as Geronimo Falls, were set slightly apart from the rest of the park and took advantage of nearly vertical slopes to allow riders to attain higher speeds than usually possible. One started with riders going almost vertically downwards and was covered with screening for the first several feet. That's it. As barriers on the side of the slides were very low, lifeguards reminded every user to remain flat on their back with their arms at their side as they descended since there was no way to ride it otherwise and stay on. The fall from both sides had the potential for very serious injury. Those who made it to the bottom found their progress arrested by water, which made a large splash and then a small pond. Only one of these slides remains today. However, the track was replaced with one that was not as steep. Well, all I can say is, once you get off of that ride, I think the majority of the people who got on these rides because they were unfamiliar or did not know anything about going to water parks found that they, they were the recipients of gigantic enemas. And there was a ladies' room and a men's room right outside of this slide because people had to go relieve themselves of all the water they had internally accumulated. Now, the diving cliffs. The area around Roaring Rapids and still is laid out like a kind of grotto with many lower intensity attractions. One was a pair of diving cliffs, one 23 feet and the other 18 feet above a 16 foot pool. However, the pool below was not blocked off from those who might be swimming in or away from other attractions and nothing at water level gave any indications to swimmers below that they could expect people to dive in right next to them or right on top of them. The sole lifeguard on duty often had his or her hands full dealing with the results of those collisions. Also, non-swimmers would jump off the cliffs not fully appreciating how deep the water below was and have to be rescued. Former employee Tom Fergus says the bottom of the pool was eventually painted white to make it easier to spot any bodies on the bottom. The large pool into which people jumped is no longer used for regular swimming, only to deposit used tubes. 
I foolishly jumped off of these cliffs numerous times without realizing the impact this was going to have on my neck, my head, my sinuses, and my body. It was ridiculous. Now, something called the erodium. The erodium is a skydiving simulator wind tunnel invented in Germany in 1984. In 1987, Action Park built and opened their own aerodium in the Waterworld section of the park, becoming the first American amusement park to open an aerodium. The attraction was operated by Aerodium Inc., who would act as a concessionaire for the park through 1997. Stadium seating encircled the perimeter of the aerodium, allowing friends and spectators to watch riders fly. Riders wearing a special skydiving suit, helmets, and earplugs would join the body flight instructor one by one on a trampoline netting directly over the fan. The fan was like a huge, huge airplane propeller underneath big steel mesh. The instructor would grab each rider's wrists and guide the rider to fall forward, allowing the fan to lift the rider skyward. After a few seconds of flight, the attendant operating the fan would cut the power, causing the rider to fall onto the air cushion surrounding the fan. Park guest flights were limited to a maximum of six or seven feet above the ground, approximately one to two feet over the instructor's head. The erodium also caused severe injuries, for example, when a rider instinctively tried to break his fall by extending his arm, which caused shoulder dislocation, severed nerves, and near-permanent paralysis of the arm. I can also say that the jumpsuits that you were given were the sweatiest, skankiest, grossest things I ever put on my body. And everybody I know looked at each other like, we all feel dirty now. Now, factors contributing to the park's safety record. <clears throat> a range of factors contributed to accidents at the park, from the design and construction of the rides themselves to the makeup of both visitors and staff and lacks government oversight. Action Park and its defenders often pointed out that it was one of the first water parks in the nation and thus pioneered ideas that were later widely copied. This is hardly a defense. This meant that visitors were using rides that had not been tested through practical use for very long. Ride designers may have had insufficient training in physics or engineering. They seemed to build rides, one attendee recalled, not knowing how they would work, and then left people on them. GAR, as its legal troubles would suggest, was accused of cutting corners to maximize its profits. For example, it was accused of building rides cheaply, sporadically maintaining many of them, and failing to renovate rides to take advantage of later safety improvements to its ride made by other facilities. The vast majority of workers at Action Park, at least the ones regularly seen by visitors, were teenagers. Jim Desay, a security director for the park, says he got that job at the age of 21 after having worked at the park for two years. His experience was not uncommon. Most were underage, undertrained, and often under the influence of alcohol and cared little for enforcing park rules and safety requirements. Height and weight-based restrictions were often ignored. As I mentioned before, there were far too many kids who were just not big enough to be on these rides, and they was very, very unsafe. But we did it. We did it like lemmings going to the sea. 
Why did we do this? We loved the idea of challenging ourselves and seeing how much we could take. And you'd often be surrounded by just gangs of kids who weren't gangs. They were just, you know, a gang of kids who were hanging out. They weren't evil or vicious. <clears throat> they were generally affable. And uh, I don't ever remember, personally, I don't ever remember any anti-LGBT sentiment or hostility or anybody being intimidated or bullied uh, while there. I think everyone was there, for the most part, in my experience, to have a good time. And there was uh, quite a bit of exhibitionism. People would moon on uh, the water slides and uh, girls' uh, tops would come off and people would scream and yell and carry on and, and cheer and have a good time laughing that off. But there wasn't, wasn't any animosity that I can recall even though uh, apparently there was a great deal of fights. So, talking about the visitors, since it was closer and slightly cheaper than Six Flags Great Adventure, Action Park attracted many visitors from urban enclaves of the New York metropolitan area. Many of them were often from lower-income neighborhoods where they had few, if any, opportunities to swim, much less learn how, as I said before. The park greatly overestimated these abilities, and this was a factor in many accidents as well as the drownings, according to park officials. The safe faults management's decision to broaden the customer base by advertising in Spanish-language media as contributing to the accident rate, since few employees spoke Spanish and no written information was made available in that language. The staff's indifference to many of the park's own rules led to a similarly lawless culture among visitors who generally liked the high level of control they had over their experience. Accidents were usually deemed by park employees to be the fault of the riders. A state official lamented that many water slide accidents were due to guests who, in blatant violation of an explicitly posted rule, would often discard their mats midway down the slide and wait at a turn for their friends so they could go down together. Since many rides routed their lines so that those waiting could see the previous rider, many played to the audience with risque and body behavior when it did finally come to be their turn. The Tarzan swing in particular was known for outbursts of foul language, not always planned, and exhibitionism as people jumped off the swing in full view of the whole line behind them. <laughs> I remember that. And people were very proud of doing it. And everybody got a cheer and it carried on. And, 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 and it, was, it was funny. The park also sold beer in many kiosks on the ground with similarly relaxed enforcement of the drinking age as well as other restrictions in the park. Doctors treating the injured often reported that many of them were intoxicated. Despite many citations for safety violations between 1979 and 1986, including allowing minors to operate some rides <laughs> and failing to report accidents, which was unique among New Jersey's amusement parks, an investigation by the New Jersey Herald, Sussex County's main daily newspaper, later found that the park was fined only once. It was also unique in that department and that all other amusement parks were fined for their first offenses, except Action Park. It asked if there was some sort of special relationship between GAR and the state. Some of the state's regulations failed to adequately address the situation. After the 1987 drowning, it was reported that the tidal wave pool was considered a pool by the state, not a ride. Under state regulations at the time, that meant that the company merely had to keep the water clean and make sure that lifeguards were on duty. I'm not so sure that the water was particularly clean. 
and the pool was almost always overcrowded. So I'm going to go to the point of legacy and then just my quick recap. The legacy of Action Park. Action Park was a cultural touchstone for many generation Xers who grew up in north and central New Jersey. Well, I'm a baby boomer, but I, I still loved it. As well as nearby locales in New York and Connecticut. A popular list of, you know you're from New Jersey when, that circulates an email, begins with, you've been seriously injured at Action Park. <laughs> some even credit the park for making them learn some difficult lessons. In 2000, Matthew Callan recalled the park thusly, Action Park made adults of a generation of tri-state area kids who strolled through its blood-stained gates by teaching us the truth about life. It is not safe, you will get hurt a lot, and you'll ride all the way home burnt beyond belief. Chris Gethard, a writer for Weird New Jersey and the Associated Book Series, concurs. Action Park was a true rite of passage for any New Jerseyan of my generation. When I get to talking about it with other Jerseyans, we share stories as if we are veterans who served in combat together. I suspect that many of us have come closest to death on some of those rides up in Vernon Valley. I consider it a true shame that future generations will never know the terror of proving their grit at New Jersey's most dangerous amusement park. That pretty much sums it up. You had to prove your grit. I think that's what, was the, that's what the appeal was. You had to like stand there and show everyone that you could do what they could do. On August 1st, 1993, MTV's Headbangers Ball taped an episode at the park. The host, Ricky Ratchman, interviewed and went on rides with the band Alice in Chains. Action Park was the topic of the first episode of the Relay FM podcast, Ungenious, in June 2016 which explores the legacy of the park, how unsafe it was, and why people continued to visit it. The original version of the park's notoriety for its unsafe reputation inspired a film by Jackass star Johnny Knoxville. Filming started in March 2017 and wrapped in June 2017. The film was released under the title Action Point by Paramount Pictures in June 2018. Action Park is the subject of Mashable's documentary video, The Most Dangerous Theme Park in America. Action Park is the subject of the 2020 HBO documentary Class Action Park. Oh my God. Action Park. The day after I went to Action Park, every single time, I woke up and said, what truck hit me? I still remember the Alpine slide and what sounded like the cracking of the bones. The skanky jumpsuits for the erodium skydiving ride. The wave pool and the threat of drowning. The surf hill water slide with the viewing patio and the slimy brackish pond at the bottom after you flew into the air on a mogul and the thick pad to stop you and all the people drinking beer and amusing themselves at everybody flying out of control. Face planting on the aquascoot. It does look like one of the stunts on Cannibal, the Ninja Warrior ripoff on USA Network. The soft mallet sensation of the slower water slides. Now this felt like you were being hit with a very gently wrapped mallet over your body, up and down the entire time you went on this ride because you were sliding and banging into uh, cushioned painted concrete and it was all soft and easy but you didn't realize you had just been pummeled and if you did it more than several times you were beaten up. The enemas for the high water slides. 
that guy who freaked out online for the cannonball. The diving cliffs and the impact on your head. And finally, nobody stopping you from doing anything stupid. Yep, it was one of a kind. It was uh, in one way really, really great. Another way, just incredible. Anyway, thanks for listening. See you next time. And as the kitties say, peace out. Thank you.